Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk. First, thank you for being a listener to this podcast. Now, I also want to ask that you also leave a review of this podcast. Reviews help me make adjustments to your preferences and your topics. Since most of my listeners download from Apple, leave your review on my podcast page there. Others can do the same wherever you get your podcast. Or you can go to podchaser.com. Then go to the public relations review page and leave a review. I would also appreciate your help and I look forward to hearing your thoughts about this podcast and getting your reviews. So thank you so very, very much. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our listeners all across America and around the world. Press releases, that is our topic today. My guest today will offer some guidance to improve the pickup of your press releases. First, here's some notable information that I've picked up on some surveys on press releases. Now, Surgeon released uh, its state of the press release report, and here's some prominent findings from that report. Did you know that the majority of press releases fall into three categories? The first is in-person events. The second is environmental, social, and governance topics. And the third is diversity, equality, and inclusion. It also mentions your headline should be attention-grabbing, to the point and not to exceed 70 characters so as to fit into Google search parameters. Now, my guest today is Mickey Kennedy. He is the principal of e-releases. Mickey created e-releases 22 years ago to give small businesses access to the media and the national newswire. E-releases helps small businesses, startups, authors by writing and distributing press releases to journalists, trade publications, and key influencers. Now, Mickey joins us today from Baltimore County, Maryland. So, Mickey, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. So, first, tell me, how did you get involved in writing press releases? So, about 25 years ago, I was working for a telecom startup as employee number three, And one of the things they asked me to do, since I had a background in writing, was to write press releases for the company and send them out. And I I did that, and then I would send them through fax machine. Uh, I had to program uh, 190 numbers into uh, a fax machine that only held 100 numbers. So (laughs) I was programming it and and then having to delete the numbers and then start over with the additional ones. So it was a little frustrating at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, since you're going to talk about how to, let's say, be successful in getting them placed, let's start at, let's talk about one of the reasons that they fail. And then once people hear that, then we can tell them how to go about correcting that. So why do so many press releases fail? I think it's because people are putting sort of non-newsworthy press releases out. Um, if you have a personnel change and you didn't, like, you know, pull some really important person out of the industry, you know, secure someone like that, very few people are going to be interested in it. And yet, I would say that's probably one of the most common press releases that we get at e-releases. And it's a new assistant 
to HR director or something like that. And for those types of releases, I say, uh, you know, if you want to draft a release, send it to your local media and maybe a couple of trade publications and you'll probably have equal number of results than, you know, sending it over the wire. I think that a lot of people forget that the journalist acts as a gatekeeper and they're looking for content that is shareable and something that they know that their audience would be interested in. And I think so many times people are developing content with the through the lens of this is what I want to promote, this is what's important to me, without taking into account why would this be important to uh, a reader or a viewer. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been in this business for a long time, and I like to say uh, you've got to make your press releases newsworthy. If it's yeah. not that, then uh, you, you're going to have an uphill push on your hands. So can we start out or have you start out about talking about some of the tips, if you will, for writing press releases that get traction with uh, journalists and the media? Sure. So I actually put together a master class for my customers because I was trying to get them to do more strategic releases. And what I came up with was several different ways in which you can basically develop your own uh, story or be newsworthy. One of the easiest things that uh, I've found that works for even the most non-newsworthy clients is to author a survey or study in their industry. I've, I've had this work for like local auto repair centers. I've had it work with carpet companies. I've had it work with almost anybody. The key to it is you want to have a good number of respondents to the survey. Uh, generally, a 100 or more is acceptable in most industries. But you can get considerably more if you partner with a trade association. And I always recommend that you go and reach out to a small, smaller trade association or independent uh, association. They don't get a lot of the love in the industry. It's usually the big trade associations that do. And the smaller ones have a lot of members, and they would love to partner with you on a survey, especially if you're going to promote it through PR. Mm-hmm. That's a, another way for them to get their own name out, and it creates a win-win situation. And so I've had people put together these surveys, send them out, and do very well. And the, the hidden trick behind it all is you're getting them to respond to several questions that hopefully you put a lot of thought into what people would want to know right now in your industry. But even even more meaningful is, you know, what are a couple of crazy questions, left field questions? What is like, if you had someone in a room for a few minutes, what would be like the one thing that you'd want to know? And for the auto repair center, the question that we put in there that was sort of from the left field was, what's the strangest thing a customer left in their car while being repaired? And we left a field in there so they could write a couple sentences. And that was the part that ended up going viral when we did the press release for mm-hmm. that for that company. You know, people really wanted to read these lists of crazy things where people left a boa constrictor in a car. People <laughs> left, uh, one person left an urn with their mother in it and they needed to go retrieve it after this auto repair shop was closed <laughs> because they had a memorial uh-huh. and they forgot that that's where they had it. So there was a lot of little interesting things like that and you can just see me talking about it. It's kind of fascinating and quirky and you know that's things that the media will often respond to. And so you know 
most people who do a survey or study and follow the, the method that I recommend generally see between 8 and 14 publications writing unique articles about it. And that's just something that can be duplicated again and again. Right now is a perfect time for people to do a survey because there's a lot of unknown health of the economy with the pandemic. Are we coming out of it? Are we going back in? And people are curious as to what's going on in your industry. So ask questions like, do you plan on spending more or less money on marketing in the future? Uh, are you hiring people at this time or are you taking a wait and see approach? Those are all things that if you publish right now in your industry, people would want to know the answer. And I could see that, you know, resulting in several different articles. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the other things that popped up in this, uh, in this survey that I was mentioning, it says that several ways that you can improve the pickup. A lot of people send a text-only survey. Unfortunately, that doesn't get as much traction as some of the others. But what they mention is that if you include one image with that press release, you'll get twice as much of an engagement. If you have a video clip uh, with that, it boosts it up to three times the engagement. And, of course, if you have multiple images, that catapults it up to six times the engagement than a normal text release would receive. Right. Multimedia is so important, whether it's images or video. If you just look at the natural evolution of how we communicate, it used to be just text and then blogs, and then it became videos, YouTube. If you look at Facebook or social media, so much of it's video now. Mm -hmm. So it's natural that the more multimedia you incorporate into your release and get out there, the stronger likelihood you have that you'll be widely sampled and get the kind of coverage that you're looking for. Now, how do you go about helping people, or or how would I put this, uh, do you, once they engage you or talk to you or speak to you, do you get this kind of information from them so that you can write what it is that they're trying to say in a way that's going to be receptive by, by the media? Right, yes. So when we write, we try to, we have a questionnaire that we have, but we also say you can disregard it. We work with small business owners, and what I found is I sort of have our writers write according to how the, the business owner or principal wants to work. Some people just prefer to have a phone call. Some people prefer to send you to a web page. Some are willing to fill out the questionnaire. Some are not. And so basically, we're willing to work with you any way that you want. And we're pretty good at trying to come up with something that is our, you know, putting you in your most newsworthy foot forward uh, when we when we develop the release. That being said, the more information you provide is generally the better. The exception being for a new author, we generally aren't going to read a complete book in order to, to write a press release or something like that. So, um, you know, there are, there are exceptions to the limits of content that we're willing to, mm-hmm. to develop. But sometimes we will look for statistics that are just publicly available but might be really relevant and sort of highlight what, what we're announcing. So if you've developed something that solves a problem for a particular industry, you know, having numbers to how much this problem costs your industry is very valuable information, and you might be able to get that publicly available. So you're not the author of it, but you just incorporated it into the mm-hmm. release, and you've made the, you know, the resulting article from that much stronger because the media loves numbers and statistics and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you help, oh, we just want to touch this in terms of small business owners that, well, a restaurant might be easier to do, but how do you help, let's say, a restaurant 
to uh, begin to let people know that they can come here and how they, why they should come there? What, what would you begin to look for in a restaurant to get an engaging press release out to the media? Right. So, for restaurants, if it's local media that you're looking for, we kind of want to tailor it for your local audience. It's generally, I recommend if you're a local business looking for local media, actually do it yourself rather than use a service like ours because you're going to get more bang for your buck just doing it yourself. If you think about it, in your local market, there's probably less than 10 people who would write or cover you. Maybe your major newspaper, if you're lucky enough to have a couple of weeklies or regional papers that are maybe a little more minor, maybe a business magazine or a business newspaper, if you're lucky enough to be in a market that has one. And then there's things like TV and radio. Uh, are there segments that they might do occasionally or show, radio shows that sometimes spotlight local businesses or talk about business uh, entrepreneurs? If so, who are they? For the newspapers and magazines and stuff like that, you're looking for the writer. You would do your research and say, this guy is the one who tends to cover you know, businesses like mine. You would just call and ask for their email address. You could also ask for their phone number. You could ask what's their preferred method of contacting with people for pitches. And then for radio and TV, you're generally looking for the producer or booker of that program that you're, you're going with. So now you have a Rolodex of less than 10 people and you would just, you don't even have to write a press release. You just can just put together a pitch of saying, Hey, I see a really big trend in my industry to talk about X, Y, and Z. And I would love to share my story with you and here are some highlights. And you may even have a really cool quote. A really great quote can really, a journalist can build a story around it. So mm-hmm. uh, you spend a little time with your quotes and, uh, and you just email them. And I, I recommend that you do this qu- at least quarterly and you just you know, reach out to them with what's meaningful going on right now that you feel would, would result in a good story. Sometimes it's seeing trends of competitors in other markets. And like if you follow, you're based in say Nashville, but you uh, are following uh, Google Alerts in say Baltimore in your industry just to see what they're writing about in different markets. And then you can take that and say, hey, I've noticed that people are beginning to cover this subject and I would love to talk to you about that here in our market. Mm-hmm. And so these are all great ways in which you can do it. For local restaurants, that's what I suggest. I feel like being local, being on their radar, even if they don't run with the story that you provided them, the more times you check in with them and provide them you know, meaningful pitches, the more likely that when they are working on a story for which they're looking for a business to plug in, They'll just reach in and, and contact you or include you because it, they know you. You're, you're at the front of their mind because you, you're reaching out to them on a regular basis. And at the end of the day, it's these personal relationships that you build that will be very meaningful. It's basically the way that any good PR firm works is they build a relationship. And I say the easiest relationship that almost anyone can do is in their local market because it's you know, building a relationship with under 10 people is, is pretty doable for even the busiest of entrepreneur or business owner. Mm-hmm. Well, let me certainly support that uh, because what I have done, I found out particularly coming to a new market when I'm from the Washington, D.C. area, 
But when I came down to Nashville, one of the first things I did was I got in touch with, uh, particularly at the TV stations, the news directors down there, just went down there to have a meeting with them. Here I am, here's what I'm going to be doing. And I didn't ask anything from them, just to introduce myself. And the same thing with uh, some of the general reporters, general assignment reporters at the newspapers and what, if they were covering, I was in education at the time, me covering this. Here I am, we can talk about A, B, C, and D. And those kinds of things certainly do help that you can take the initiative. And, and speaking about restaurants, I mean, it's a timely, uh, a time, timely thing. You know, Thanksgiving is coming along. And, of course, maybe they can pitch some ideas to uh, some of these shows where you can come on and have cooking demonstrations, how to cook a certain Thanksgiving piece a different way than you normally do. So those kind of things certainly open up uh, opportunities for us small business people. Yeah, absolutely. So what has been perhaps your most challenging, if you will, assignment in terms of a small business person coming to you to uh, help them get some exposure? I think for me, the biggest challenge is trying to get people to buy into the idea of a PR campaign. So many people sample by doing one press release, and then they move on thinking that PR doesn't work for them. And, you know, I, I often point out that in advertising, you, you run an ad campaign on Google for one day and you don't get any conversions, you don't assume that Google advertising doesn't work. What you do is you take that information and you move forward and you try to say, well, maybe my click-through rate isn't very strong. What could I do to increase that? Maybe my landing page isn't very good. Maybe I should, you know, make some tweaks and changes on that. But even more importantly, I need to continue going forward and run the ad campaign over a period of time and give it the opportunity to test and tweak and change. And the same thing applies to PR. So many people I see give it the, the one press release test, and then when it doesn't result meaningful results with them, they just move on. And what I often tell people is that if you do a meaningful PR campaign of, say, four to eight press releases over a period of time, and you do them strategically so that each one's different and it's a different approach and it's something that you've modeled or, you know, put together with some thought, you should see pick up on at least a couple of those releases. Well, at least in the cup, if you're doing six to eight, with four, it, it could, could be as few as one that gets meaningful pickup, but you should. And so there are things like owning your own story, having a very refined, unique selling proposition or USP um, that can help you as, as one of the strategies. There's like researching your industry, looking for blind spots. Mm -hmm. what, are pe what do people not talk about in your trade publications that they do talk about, say, at a conference? Or, you know, what's a dirty little secret in your industry that you don't see in, in, in print very often? Sometimes those can be opportunities for you to bring those to light. Sometimes they're ignored for a reason. Uh, you just have to sort of do the homework and figure out which one it is and sometimes take a, uh, a leap of faith and, and test whether it's one of those things that sometimes uh, is an opportunity for you. I often say that if you can be a contrarian or the friendly jerk uh, with an industry uh, trend, so if everybody is saying uh, X, Y, Z in your industry, like there's a lot of industries that are going green, and so a lot of news is published saying why being environmentally sound is good for your industry. Here are products and services that serve that. If you're the person who's being a contrarian and saying, 
hey, while it's great that we start adopting more environmentally sound practices, maybe we shouldn't completely change because here are some pitfalls. Maybe it's issues like with the automotive industry. They haven't really solved the idea of how to get batteries developed without environmental problems caused by mining mm-hmm. and the problem that these don't have a very long life cycle after you know as few as four to six years these batteries which weigh tons have to go to landfills and so you know you can come across as very level-headed and prudent but also being contrarian or negative to a particular subject the contrarian has a much higher success rate of getting media coverage than the person who agrees with everyone else. And that's mm-hmm. because so many people in your industry are agreeing. That's a lot of competition for people having the same opinion. But if you're one of the few people who's pointing out the negative, you are much more likely to get media pickup. And at the end of the day, journalists want to be cover both sides. They want to be fairly objective. So, so many times only one position is put in print because they just don't have anybody willing to go on the record to be the contrarian on a particular subject. And Mm -hmm. if you're willing to do that and get out there doing press releases, again, you stand a very good chance of being picked up. Now, that being said, I do have to caution you that whatever position you take, you you have to be willing that your customers are going to see it because sometimes being contrarian for the sake of being contrarian can sort of alienate you from your own customer base. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that you are level-headed and reasonable and that you're not going to take a position that's going to put you in trouble with your existing customer base or suppliers or vendors and things like that. Well, I think the other thing I don't also uh, say to support that is that you can be contrarian, but you can also have the data to support what it is as compared right. to it just being said. Being a contrarian to be one, as you as you said, has a lot of uh, dangers to go along with it. But if, in fact, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, some years ago, I was doing some work for one of these what they call proprietary colleges. And they were offering commercial, uh, selling commercial driver's licenses, or courses for commercial driver's licenses. And at the time, this is two, three or so odd years ago, that uh, they were saying that, you know, we don't have enough drivers to uh, drive these tractor trailers, and we're like 50,000 short. And this is all these years ago, and, and now we're looking at the fact that, hey, look, here we are with this uh, chain, chain supply problem, and part of that problem is we don't have enough truckers. Well, somebody saw that, you know, we tried to tell you years ago, but you weren't listening to it. Now it's coming home to roost, so to speak. Right. Let me ask you now, are there any sort of messages that you think that you should give to uh, to our listeners that we haven't touched on yet? I think that not, not, I mean, not really. I think that basically when it comes to press releases, the most meaningful part of it, I believe, is the headline. And I think that quote, I've seen a lot of, press releases in the past that had weak quotes mm-hmm. where a journalist will write an article exactly on what your press release is about. So it's pretty obvious that your press release inspired this article and nowhere does it mention the company. Mm-hmm. And I've researched those a couple of times because I've had angry clients say, what the heck happened here? And so I go to the journalist and I would say 90% of the time what happened was they were in the original article. They they know that this person inspired the article. They wrote the article. They mentioned this small company. They put the weak quote that was in the press release in it. And the managing or supervising editor looked at it and just crossed out and said, I don't know why he's mentioning a small company. And that's a weak quote. 
However, if you had a very meaningful quote, and it just, you know, was could not be paraphrased easily, uh, the managing editor might even put an exclamation mark on the margins and say, that's a great quote. I know why it's here. And so, you know, the headline is so important. I feel the quote is the most overlooked part of a press release that people should just definitely spend more time. Uh, so many quotes look safe. They look like they're written by committee. And you can still have a safe quote, but it synthesizes and says something right. in a very beautiful way. And that's the one place that I feel you can have a little bit of poetry and say something that's just beautiful and and very succinct uh, on a particular topic. And, and that's so important. The multimedia that you mentioned is a great because so many publications out there are looking for content. They're like, well, this is a safe story, a mediocre story, but there's a really great collateral with it. So that's going to make the article stand out even more. So they're going to be more likely to choose you if they're, you know, competing against a similar press release or topic that doesn't have the collateral. So the more that you do by including great imagery or video or stuff like that makes it more likely that the media is going to use it. Mm -hmm. And so that's another strong reason for including that. I've even actually had clients go out and basically develop what would be the equivalent of, I would call clip art or uh, stock art, stock photos. And they just do them internally. But, you know, you're a software company. Just having the logo of your company is useful, but having something meaningful with that software on a page with people, you know, looking at it, maybe pointing to the computer is so more, so much more animated and can really add to an article. And I would just tell people to spend a little extra time trying to create some images for whatever it is that they're announcing, whether it's a service or software or a physical product. Um, and rather than just have the product itself, try to put it there with people interacting with it because that interactive part is something that I've noticed the media really responds to. Mm -hmm. Well, Mickey, I want to thank you uh, so very much for coming on to uh, to the podcast today and providing listeners with this uh, valuable information. And uh, to my listeners, I'd like to say thank you so very much for listening. And please join us again for the next edition of the Public Relations Review Podcast. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us. Hi, this is Peter Woolfolk speaking. Now, first of all, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. Now, I am very excited to let you know that the podcast is now available on Amazon Alexa. You know the drill. Simply say, Alexa, play Public Relations Review Podcast, and she'll take it from there. And again, thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the program, please become a subscriber. Now, on to the podcast.